if uh, you're just joining us, we are in the book of Philippians, and uh, this series has been entitled Connected, A Life of Joy. And uh, my working contention is that in the book of Philippians, we are told over and over that connection to Jesus changes everything to such an extent that a life of joy is possible, like right here, right now, even in this place, right here in the real world of life at Pitt. So I'm going to read uh, Philippians 1, 12 to 18. You can follow along up there, beginning in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. I'm going to pray. Feel free to join me if you like. Our great Father, we ask that in our weariness and our distraction and the many things on our minds and hearts, you be kind to grant us strength and clarity, help us understand what you have to say to us in this text, lift up our eyes to see Jesus. Uh, would you be kind uh, to us in this way? We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, some of you guys know I really like music and I really like singer-songwriter music. Some of my favorite albums this year, three different singer-songwriters. Uh, this is not one of them, but really well-respected singer-songwriter. Um, two different songs, okay? Different periods, follow along. So song number one goes like this. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of the team. Everything is awesome when you're living a dream. Blue skies, bouncy springs, we just named a few awesome things. A Nobel Prize, a piece of string, you know what's awesome? everything. Okay, so song number one. Okay, song number two, different time, right? A little later, same singer-songwriter. Everything's not awesome. Everything's not cool. I'm so depressed. Everything's not awesome. Whoa, I think I finally get Radiohead. Bro, you should check out Elliot Smith. What's the point? There's no hope. Awesomeness was a pipe dream. So the uh, you know, well-known singer-songwriter is, of course, Wild Style from uh, Lego Movie 1 and 2. Wrote both of these. And it's possible you came to school a little bit, you know, Wild Style number one. Uh, this is my chance. Uh, this is going to be great. New start. Life of joy. It's going to be awesome. But, uh, but maybe, maybe, maybe right now you're, you're changing your tune a little bit. And you don't want to. It's just that circumstances are pressing in upon you. I wasn't even in here, but what Stephen had to say, and then Emery reiterated, is, hey, it, it's happening. Uh, this is called adversity. And it, and it changes your tune. And sometimes it's what comes at you. It's what comes at you in life. It's outside of your control by the nature of work and worry. It's also what comes with you. You think you left it behind. Wounds, baggage loss in the past, and you think you can get away from it, and you get here and it's still there. It came with you. And, and here's a question. 
when, when these hopes, these dreams, as reasonable as they are, these plans for joy, when they get challenged, maybe even dashed, by adversity, by reality, what's your choices? Are, are, are your only choices really song one or two? Is it really just an unrealistic pipe dream of joy? Or a sad, safe cynicism? Is there any other way to navigate life besides naive joy and self-protective cynicism? And what we're going to see in our text briefly is that uh, the gospel of Jesus is good news for the real world. The real world that you live in. So we'll talk about it in two ways. Good news for the real world and then good news for you. All right? So good news for the real world. And uh, if you've been with us, uh, the first 11 verses are maybe a little bit wild style, style, like song number one. It's all love. It's all joy. It's all thanksgiving. It's flowers and puppy dogs and rainbows. It's just lovely. Uh, meanwhile, the Philippians who are reading this know, know something of Paul's circumstances. And they're probably waiting to figure out, like, hey, man, how you doing? Because we've heard, we've heard hard things. And finally, in verse 12, he gets around to telling them, you know, what's, what's going on? Uh, and he tells them of his adversity. He's been facing uh, adversity. And this adversity has come to him from outside. It's outside of him. He says in verse 12, this sort of alludes to, what has happened to me? And what's happened to him is he's been imprisoned. He's been unjustly imprisoned and he's waiting his trial. And, uh, you know, suffering is when you are stuck in a place of pain and you have no agency or control over it. And that's where Paul is. He's unjustly imprisoned and he doesn't have the authority or agency to do anything about it. And we'll see next week all the uncertainty that comes with that his fate, his care of the churches, the cause of Jesus that he so deeply cares about. So there's these circumstances outside of him, without him, outside of him, that he can't control. And then within, within the community, there are other aspects of adversity. He alludes to it in verses 15 and 17. And this is one of those deals where, like, <laughs> if things are going bad in your life circumstantially, it's rough. But then when those closest to you turn, it's sort of inside it's even worse. And that's what this is. Even more distressing, perhaps, there are some people in the camp who out of envy and rivalry, out of selfish ambition, are trying to, and these are Paul's words here, afflict me in my imprisonment. In other words, there are some people within the broader church that want to hurt Paul by making him jealous of their ministerial success. Uh, they, these are the kind of people that are just sort of Imagining Paul locked away, deeply despairing because they're getting all the glory, doing all the good work. And, uh, you know, if, if you're thinking, wow, that's not the church I know. My church is great. Well, you might be the only person that's ever experienced that. Because most of us know that the church is not the way it's supposed to be. Nothing is the way it's supposed to be. No church is perfect. And it never has been. And here you see the reality of jealousy and selfishness and divisiveness. People are out to hurt Paul. And uh, it's possible you know something like that, that you've experienced hurt from those within the church, that you've been mistreated. 
And uh, if that's part of your story and no one's ever apologized to you for it, I want to apologize. I, I didn't do it. I may hurt you in the future. I sure hope not. But as an ordained minister in the church, I am sorry. I really am. If people that should have cared for you and intended you gently hurt you, because it's not supposed to be that way. And uh, if that's a wound you carry around with you, um, I'd, be, I'd be privileged if you'd want to share it. And maybe we could work through it together. Uh, despite the way Paul's been treated, though, by people within the broader church, he doesn't give up on Jesus. He doesn't give up on his people. I think Paul knows the reality that adversity is everywhere. It's everywhere in the world, even in the church. And, uh, you know, let's go back to music. Um, when he's not rocking your face off, uh, Gary Clark Jr. is singing the blues. And uh, in this one song, he writes this. If trouble was money, I swear I'd be a millionaire. If trouble was money, babe, I swear I'd be a millionaire. If worries was dollar bills, I'd buy the whole world and have money to spare. My mother used to tell me, she said, son, there's going to be days like this. My mom used to tell me, she said, son, there's going to be days like this. She said, I want you to always be a winner. I love you, son. I don't want you to quit. I love the way that song ends because mom is being realistic. Mom's not saying like one day the adversity will end, the troubles will go away. She doesn't say that. She's saying just don't quit because adversity will always come. It will always be there. And, uh, and Paul knows this. Paul knows there's no end to the adversity and there's no quit. There's no quit in him. There's no quit in Jesus. And what we see is in the midst of this adversity, there's advancement. The gospel advances. Paul writes in verse 12, what's happened to me, being unjustly imprisoned, has actually served to advance the gospel. Um, the good news of who Jesus is has gone out more clearly and powerfully because of what's happened to me. It's not been diminished. It's not been deterred by these obstacles or hindrances. Instead, I've had wonderful opportunities um, in fact, he says in verse 16, no, what's happened is I have been put here. I've been put here in prison for the defense of the gospel. In other words, this is not some, uh, I mean, he's really suffering. I don't want to make light of this. Um, but this is part of God's daring plan. God's put him in a unique, uh, unique opportunity. And he explains it in verse 3. It's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Jesus. This imperial guard is uh, an interesting crowd. I, I think you should perhaps think of them as like the best and brightest soldiers. This is the Secret Service. This is the FBI. These are the, these are the guys that, uh, the men and women that went to college and then passed all the tests and the personality tests and the fitness tests and every other test. They're not just soldiers. They're the best and brightest of the soldiers. These are the Ivy League of the soldiers, Okay. Uh, and they are experienced in the world. They've seen and heard everything, except for maybe the good news of Jesus. And now they are chained to the most persuasive evangelist in the history of the world. They get four-hour shifts of Paul. Paul would never have access to people like this, but he does now. And he is so excited. I have an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus 
with some of the best and brightest people in the world. What an opportunity for the good news to advance in new places with new people. And it's not only a new opportunity out there, but it's done something to the people within the church. He says, uh, most of those having become, seeing what's happened to me, have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and are much more bold to speak the word. You, you, you might think like, oh, Paul's been in prison. We should behave ourselves and be quiet so we don't get thrown in prison too. Uh, no, they're thrown into prison and all of a sudden they're fired up <laughs> because of it and they start sharing more boldly with the people around them. In other words, this is not some cautionary tale. This is a great opportunity. And they are ready to share because they are convinced that this good news of Jesus is not just for them. It's for the whole world. It's for everybody. Even a world uh, that's hostile to it, that's full of adversity, it's for all kinds of people. And uh, always in RUF, we will have people in this room that are Christians and non-Christians. And I'm just going to say it like it is. Sometimes we as Christians are really, really slow to believe this. that The gospel's for all kinds of people. Have you ever stopped to consider that perhaps one of the reasons you're here at Pitt is for someone else's good? Like, not just your good, not just your story, not just your career, not just your growth, but God may have put you here so you can share the good news with someone else. They can hear it clearly and have their life changed. He put Paul in prison for this reason. Might he not put you here for that reason? And if that's the case, again, I'm speaking to my Christian friends here. Do you care enough? about them and have the courage like these people emboldened by what's happened to Paul to share your story or even just invite them to something like this just invite them I mean you can't make them come and you should never try to make them but invite them because this is what we do every week every single week some of you are thinking, oh no, like this every week? Yeah, pretty much. Every single week, I'm going to sit up here, stand, and I'm going to read part of Scripture, the Word of God, and I'm going to explain how good Jesus is. And now He has the ability to change your life from the inside out, no matter who you are. Because it's good news for the whole world, for everyone, all kinds of people, right here in the middle of this place. And so we've now talked about how this is good news for the real world. Talk about you real quick. Let's talk about you, how this is good news for you. In other words, I'm going to get a little personal now. Uh, suffering's an unavoidable reality. Is that uh, philosopher and Princess Bride said, life is pain, Highness, and you're one who tells you differently is selling something. That doesn't mean suffering's good. Suffering, suffering is never good. In itself, it's not good. But God is able to use it for good. And he does. And one way that God uses suffering, adversity, the trials in your life, whether it's a roommate you can't stand, Ochem that's uh, threatening your career dreams, parents at home that aren't doing well, loss in your... Whatever it is, one way God 
always uses adversity in your life is to expose your bottom line. To expose your bottom line. Adversity inevitably exposes what really matters to you. Because adversity threatens what really matters to you. And it might not be visible when your joy tide is high, when your passion bucket is full, when everyone likes you and your GPA is healthy. But when some of those things are taken away, it then becomes visible. Or when tragedy strikes, when something happens, like Paul says, what's happened to me? When tragedy strikes, something unjust happens to you, you get a glimpse of the bottom line. For Paul, it's the gospel. But what is it for you? Have you, have you seen your bottom line? I want to be careful here because I don't wish pain on anyone. I really don't. But it's good to know your bottom line. And when things begin to fall apart, maybe then you see your bottom line. What do you run to when things fall apart? For some of you, it's going to be control. It's control. I can schedule myself out of this. I can study myself out of this. Competency. Uh, and being afraid of trusting others. I can do this. Control. Control is your bottom line. For some of you, it might be comfort. This hurts. This hurts a great deal. I don't want to think about this, so I am going to escape. I'm going to escape with my friends this Thursday night. And I'm going to make myself forget by any means possible. Or I'm going to escape in front of this TV screen or Netflix or video game for the next eight hours in a row. And you will, you will anesthetize yourself. Or maybe that bottom line is acceptance. The opinion of others, whether it's your peers or your professors, is the thing that's most important to you. So long as they like you, everything's all right. And in all these areas, each one of them, I understand. I mean, this is, what it like, this is what it's like to be a human. But I need you to know that if these things are your bottom line, they're not safe. They're not safe. They're not ever safe. Not a single one of these things is safe from adversity, from reality. They can all be challenged. And not only that, they're not big enough. They're not good enough. You should want more out of life than just this. You need a bigger and better story than just this. You shouldn't be satisfied with this alone. These aren't big enough and good enough for your heart and for your life. So let me go ahead and encourage you. If you're thinking right now, like, oh, my bottom line's coming up at me, but I'm still doing pretty good. Well, just jettison it altogether anyway. Just get ahead of it, beat the rush, and go get yourself a better bottom line. And here's, here's where you can find one. Let's go ahead and embrace a bigger and better story. After Paul uh, summarizes all his travail, all his adversity, yeah, yeah, I'm in jail. I don't know what's going to happen to me. Oh, yeah, these people are trying to cause me trouble. He, he sort of sums up his emotional reaction to all of it in verse 18 with sort of like two words. What then? Question mark. His bottom line is not threatened. What then? I was like, huh? I'm all right. He went on to say that he has joy. It's clear that he has peace. And it's because he's got a bigger, better bottom line. 
in Jesus. It's better. How is it good? Because in God's will, the good news of Jesus is big enough and good enough to encapsulate and make use of all our sufferings. Again, your sufferings are always bad. But God is able to use them for good. Because He's good. How is this a better story? Because you have here the possibility of a joy that's not dependent on your success or your circumstances. You have the possibility of hope and peace in the midst of adversity and loss. Because God's at work. And you don't have to carefully manufacture and hold on to this fairy tale of joy that if everything works together, this will make me happy. Actually, let's just admit we're not in control and find joy knowing that God is and that He's good. He's good, even when I'm not in control. It's a better story. It's also a bigger story. Ultimately, the whole Bible is the story of how God fixes everything. Everything is broken. It really is. There's, there's nothing that's the way it's supposed to be. There's a sense in which we can all sing the second wild style song, right? Um, but the good news of Jesus ends with Jesus fixing everything, making it beautiful, glorifying it. And so we have hope. We have grounds for hope in the future. We have a sense of purpose now, knowing that God's at work, something to live for that's more than ourselves. And uh, not only that, it's a, it's, it's a big story, not just in time, but also in breadth. This is a story and a message that's for anyone. Hardened Roman soldiers, religious hypocrites like Paul that have overseen the murder of another person, and everyone in between. It's good news for anyone. It's a bigger, better story, and it's like that because it, uh, well, it's more than about just you. If your bottom line is just about you, uh, you're going to be sucked into the great suck of self. I don't really know how to put it. But there's not much joy and peace down there, friends. A little obsession, a little anxiety, a lot of worry. But the good news of Jesus pulls you out in a bigger and better story. And it offers you, uh, lastly, uh, the opportunity to enjoy better fruit. Um, you know, better results, better feelings, better reality. Uh, your bottom line when it's exposed, what does it produce in you? Anxiety, worry, pain, despair, fear. I'm not making that up, right? I mean, if you've been here for a while, you're like, yeah, I remember March of last year. It's exactly the way I felt. I remember yesterday. It's exactly the way I just felt. Um, but the good news of Jesus here, this good news produces confidence without fear. Confidence because it's not all up to you. God's at work. Such beautiful freedom to know that uh, you can live free from what other people think about you and free to love them regardless of what they think. And lastly, joy. Paul finishes by saying in verse 18 that uh, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. He's in prison rejoicing, man. Isn't that great? Freedom from fear, joy in the midst of your sufferings and adversity, joy that persists right through the middle of adversity, rooted in the goodness of Jesus. 
and who he is and what he's doing. I'm going to finish with just asking you a few questions. And that is, uh, hey, just consider the last three weeks. I haven't sat down with all of you, so I have no idea what your last three weeks were like. But think about your attitudes. Think about your concerns. Think about your relationships. Think about your motives. What's been your bottom line? Is it mostly yourself? Is there any peace to be found there in the good news of Jesus? Whatever you're living for, is it as good as what we've just talked about? Is it as good as this bottom line that Jesus offers us? If you're a Christian, friends, I know it's so easy to lose this, to get swallowed up by other stuff. That's why we do this. So we can remember together that Jesus is good. He's at work right here in the middle of this place, right here in us, even though we tend to forget him. It's possible to live this kind of free, with this kind of freedom and love and joy right here. We just need to remember it together and rehearse it together. And if you're here and you're visiting and uh, you've been coming maybe for a few weeks and you're thinking, ah, I'm not sure I believe any of this. I, I'm really glad you're here. Um, I would like to invite you to aspire to a life or at least to consider the possibility of life where joy does not depend upon your every success or failure. And that it's possible that you can have a real persistent joy because of what someone else does besides you. Someone who knows you and loves you better than you know and love yourself. And that's Jesus. I'm going to pray, and then we're done. Our Lord Jesus, we ask you be kind uh, to be with us. Uh, we're not in prison. Um, but we're also not aware of each other's sufferings. Uh, somebody in this room is really hurting. I don't know who it is. Maybe they're thinking about going home already. They can't take it anymore. They've never been this lonely in their whole life. Someone else thinks they can't hack it. They already feel like their dream has been shot all to pieces. That's real life here at Pitt. Lord, if you are good and you are great and you are real, and I believe you are, would you show us there's a different way to live, a bigger, better story, and grant us faith to grab onto that and rest in it? We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing a song, and then we're out of here.